Hello and welcome to Cleantech Talk, Alacrity Canada's podcast series focusing on the cleantech sector. Our host for this episode is Peter Vandergracht, a serial technology entrepreneur who has successfully launched, financed, operated, and sold multiple technology companies in his over 30 years of experience. Currently acting as chairman, director, consultant, or investor in over 10 companies, Peter dedicates his time to supporting the growth of innovative startups through other organizations, including our very own Alacrity Foundation. Today, we're talking to Rustam Sengupta from Sustainable Development Technology Canada about how the next decade in clean tech development and investment could look in Canada and what this means for the industry and society at large. Rustam Sengupta is currently investment lead at Sustainable Development Technology Canada. SDTC funds Canadian clean tech projects and coaches the companies that lead them as they move their innovative technologies to market. Rustam is the organization's West Coast representative recommending disruptive companies in the region to the Canadian government for funding and support. He conducts due diligence during this process, identifying clean tech companies that have the potential to transform the global landscape. With experience being an entrepreneur himself, Rustam is also adjunct professor at the Institute for Resources, Environment and Sustainability at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, BC. Rustam, thank you so much for your time and welcome to our uh, clean tech podcast series. And for those of our audience that uh, aren't familiar, SDTC is really a ground zero of our federal government's drive towards this uh, new green clean tech economy. So Rustam, we really appreciate your perspectives and thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you so much, Peter and Sonia for the invitation. And I think, I think this is brilliant what you guys are doing with the podcast. Thank you. Um, so just, um, we are now in the fall of 2020. So this is a year of COVID-19. Uh, over the summer, we were starting to feel pretty good, but now we're starting to get relapses. So uh, the future is a little unknown. So this is a really an interesting time to talk to Russell about the clean tech sector and how COVID-19 really is impacting um, the financial sector. So that's really my first question for you, Rustam, is, you know, compare what your activities were like, say, at the end of last year to what's going on now, and just give our, our listeners a little flavor for what's changed. Absolutely. So, Peter, the, uh, the pandemic has definitely affected the Canadian clean tech space as it's affected other industries. Uh, and we've noticed three main issues that the companies had. The first being a liquidity concern as the pandemic slowed down investment flow and access to capital. Uh, and then we also noticed a lot of companies struggling to access the markets uh, as, you know, demonstration activities and marketing activities or any kind of PR was sort of difficult with physical proximity restrictions. And finally, many of our companies or um, clean tech bigger companies have human capital constraints as, you know, manufacturing shutdown and stuff like that. So, um, in March, SDTC um, you know, announced a round of emergency funding on this uh, after analyzing the whole situation and we dispersed 5% of the approved funding for each project additional to what we'd already given them. So this is in the tune of accumulative about $20, $25 million that we put out to the clean tech ecosystem. And, and we, we continue to monitor uh, and support companies on a case by case basis uh, as we go forward for the pandemic. Again, this was all um, things that had to be analyzed and executed. Uh, obviously, last year was more business as usual. But but I, I definitely end by saying that, you know, that since uh, the Q2 has been significantly better for companies, uh, as, as most of them are back to full swing and have or have learned to work with the pandemic. 
And, and I'm also happy to say, like, SDTC has approved over 30 companies for funding in the past few months. So things are looking back. Again, we don't know how it'll be with, with the next wave coming in, but I would say we are all better prepared, both the companies as well as uh, support institutions like ours. Thanks, Rustam. And it's good to hear that optimism in your voice. And really, I think there are some good data points. You mentioned those three initial traumas, access to liquidity, you know, access to customers, because oftentimes they're international and then, uh, and then uh, team members as well. It's nice to hear that hopefully all three of those are temporary and, uh, you know, and we'll be able to get back to normal so that, you know, we don't see a, a lasting impact. So then if we sort of take the viewpoint as business somewhat as normal, at least looking forward somewhat as normal, maybe you could help us understand what do you look for uh, in companies when you look at uh, doing your due diligence and looking at stories that you think are fundable? Just give us maybe the top three things you look for. Absolutely. SDTC's key mandate for its existence is, is generating a sustainable environmental benefits, right? So we fund companies uh, which work in the clean tech space, but really generate environmental benefits. And so that's that's the number one, I would say. So we definitely need companies to show us uh, very quantifiable or very tangible environmental benefits. Uh, and, and we also acknowledge that environmental benefits can only be generated if companies commercialize. So the second thing we look forward is the focus of the company towards sustainability or a clear path to commercialization. Additional to that, you know, SDTC being a taxpayer-funded fund, we have to ensure that companies have Canadian benefits and are looking to grow their organization, whether it's hiring people or creating IP domestically in the nation. So I would say that that's the three uh, main things, you know, environmental benefits, path to commercialization, and the Canadian benefits. Uh, but beyond that, it's a competitive fund. So we definitely look at how innovative their technology is, how disruptive it is for the market, and uh, you know what the value proposition is and uh, stuff like that. Great. Thank you for that, Rustam. I, I know our audience is keenly interested in these sort of questions on your priority areas, what you look for, because they want to make sure that they are hopefully going to be a fit for your fund. So jumping a little bit to sort of national and international policies, you know, there's a variety of global initiatives going on. And um, because clean tech is quite a broad space, it, it impacts lots of areas and lots of traditional industries. So I'm curious as to whether, you know, how, how either our federal government's policy changes or global policy changes sort of dictate where your interest lies. Peter, I mean, SDTC, in the way we define climate change or clean tech or environmental benefits is very broad. So we, we let the companies uh, sort of position themselves on the environmental benefits spectrum and basically pitch their case, right? So we, we don't really have a very closed or boxed environmental benefit definition. So we let the companies come up with it as long as they adhere to, you know, some kind of methods and standard alignment with what's been discussed domestically or internationally. For example, if companies, you know, the SDGs throw out like SDG six is clean water or seven clean energy or sustainable cities or climate change. So why we take guidance for those as well, as well as we, of course, take guidance from uh, the federal government's alignment in what is the environmental benefit norms working closely with our partners in the government like Environment Canada or others to understand, you know, where the focus of our environmental benefits and investments should be. But, but I'll still say it's, it's a fairly broad fund. 
And so if, if, if the entrepreneur feels that they are making a strong environmental benefit and more importantly, can quantify it for us, then we definitely take a look at that. Okay, thank you. You know, our, our listeners are always interested in the process and, and how mechanically it works. Um, we, we've talked about how you have a very broad view of sustainability, but we also talked about how COVID-19 is getting in the way of some of the ways to sort of commercialize and go to market. Like, for example, let's say you want to do clean tech in India, but you can't travel there. So I'm curious, Rustam, in this time of the fall of 2020, how much does COVID-19 impact, you know, sort of your view of companies' near-term commercialization and therefore the kind of deals that move further into your process? That's two parts to the question. So from a company perspective, I think definitely companies are, uh, you know, needing to realign and re-strategize how they are approaching the market, right? So obviously the trade shows or, you know, demonstrations of any kind, doing that physically is fairly difficult, but I've been fairly positively surprised to see how companies have adapted really quickly and are managing to still connect to the market virtually. It goes to be seen again, how the logistics and every other things work out, but, but people have been um, fairly responsive to changing their models to that. In terms of uh, SDTC and our investment flow, I, not a lot has changed. Of course, we've gone online, uh, meetings are now virtual and, and the usual, right? Uh, but we still adhere to the same rigorous um, you know, due diligence process and the investment process that we follow to take a company all the way from intake to a project review committee or to our board. So not a lot has changed in that, uh, that respects. We do, we do see many companies um, pitch their environmental benefits or market traction in a different way. Uh, but for us, it remains the same. Like you need to have the consortium partner who validates your market and clearly establishes the value proposition for us. We would look at the company to build a business plan of their own and share when they're going to hit the market, acknowledging the risks that are now present in this current situation. Uh, but we are not changing like any gate or any particular special uh, requirement on that. Okay, thanks, Rustam. So open for business. That's good. Very, very good to hear. Absolutely. So another sort of mechanical question, wonder if you've seen differences between deal size and the number of syndicate partners. You talked earlier about in the early stages of COVID-19, liquidity kind of disappeared. Now it seems to be coming back. Just you know, curious as to what your recent experience has been with syndicate partners and deal size. Yeah, so I mean, it might be a little early to you know be able to come up with what the big difference has been in the deal size because those are average numbers, right? But I would say it hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, but what we've acknowledged is uh, that there are early stage companies that have had you know fair amount of liquidity crisis, and and you know you're aware and you'd be happy to know that this we focused a lot on the seed fund, uh, which is a super early stage hundred thousand dollar fund. It's a piggyback fund on if you bring in 2x and we put 100,000, if you have 200,000 equity capital. And we've done 19 seed stage uh, investments uh, in just the last three months during you know, the heat of the COVID. So that, that shows that you know, we've, we've sort of tried to be a little more nimble on the early stage uh, companies and be able to get money out of the door to them uh, as they need it more. But we've also done a fair bit of work in the tech fund, um, and we've had some pretty large, significant deal flows as well. So the, in, in average, it hasn't really shifted a lot, but we've seen companies prepare differently or you know, ask us maybe for a little bit more or less. 
in terms of syndication in in the initial part of when covid hit of course it was a little harder with private investors or understanding when they would come in but like i mentioned earlier we've seen that improve significantly over the past couple of months and uh, private investors are joining into the rounds okay thank you next question sort of back to deal flow which is give us a sense of how many deals you would look at um you know to find one that uh, goes through the process and gets funded um you know we hear from a lot of investors that maybe they'll look at 100 and invest in two or three just curious as to what sdtc's experience has been so sdtc is a competitive fund i mean it, we get applications from across canada and from different industries and uh, while intake you know varies year on year we we take in applications on a rolling basis one of the things that we've done is that we have five board meetings so that companies can come in any time of the year and we can sort of cater to their business plan rather the other way around the investment process is also multi staged so it's it's not that we say no to a bunch of companies at one time we keep evaluating different pieces of information at different stage in the due diligence as a sort of a very rough estimate i would say one in five make it to approval so it's it's i mean i, I know who does 2% 3% but that seems very harsh but i would say maybe 15 to 25% is sort of where the sddc rounds fluctuate to uh, and that is from people who apply all the way to people who get approved Got it. Thanks thanks for asking and that's that's very encouraging. So you mentioned the seed fund for example where you know the criteria is if the private sector is putting some money then that means it's probably a pretty good bet for SDTC but in the larger fund trying to get a sense of how much evidence of commercial traction do you need to see before a company would be eligible. If are there any sort of rules of thumb that our audience should know about? I mean there's no unfortunately no rule of thumb because we see uh, companies from across different industries right and across different stages of their technology readiness level but I would definitely say that market traction is very important to us and the way we validate is by encouraging the company to have a consortium partner who is one of their customers or somebody who can clearly validate the market position and the value proposition that the company is bringing on So even if it's a early stage company we do encourage them to have somebody who they would you know sell the product to at a late stage uh, furthermore the projects that they propose to SDT have to clearly align with the business plan so it can't be a project made for funding it has to be very much aligned to the business plan and we need to be very clear in what are we de-risking when we put our money in and and last but not least sdtc funds 40% of the project cost right so we do expect the company to be ready with the rest 60% uh, whether it's cash on the bank or whether it's a definite confirmation of an investor investment so companies coming to us for the tech fund are not super early stage they definitely have to have some things working out for them a prototype which is working well and they have substantial amount of data to defend their value proposition uh, also maybe you know have crossed their seed investment round of course are aiming at a series a or a series b and uh, want to de-risk a certain element of that investment round most definitely to your question i mean have to have a clear line of sight to the commercialization you know who the market is what's the size what's the value proposition the stickiness and, and the usual stuff got it thank you how about patents and intellectual property uh how critical are those items to uh to your sort of investment decisions so ip is quite important i mean it's definitely important even for a company i mean if you think of it it's a big strategic competitive advantage to have ip right so we definitely value it a lot as well 
but again it's also dependent on the industry right so we we are seeing a lot of software plays we're seeing a lot of artificial intelligence uh, data enabled kind of companies and in these the ip is maybe not in form of patents but more in the form of the data that they've acquired or are planning to acquire over a period of time so again it can you can look at ip in different ways whether it's uh, patents uh, or data or even contracts which are you know exclusive contracts but it's important that the company has looked into sort of the ip landscape has looked into how it can build these uh, competitive barriers for others and maintain its competitive advantage in the market so we definitely consider that important got it and then rustam in terms of you had mentioned sort of different stages of financing sort of friends and families seed rounds with angels a rounds b rounds where is is sdtc sweet spot you know because commercialization sort of intensifies as you move through these financing rounds where where is the most natural place for sdtc to get involved yeah so there's two ways to answer that one is if you look at the technology readiness level a very simple answer would be that we look for trl4 and beyond so it cannot be an idea it cannot just be you know a very early proof of concept we're looking for companies which have have a prototype in place and some data or some information maybe a patent or two or something that is in the shape of which allows us to believe that the technology is closer to the market and not just at the research and development stage so as it is fund is focused on funding demonstrations and funding sort of that last mile leap from just having a project to having a commercial product uh, which can be good for the market so that's the stage we look at and we want companies to be mindful that the process is you know at least 4 5 months uh, for the due diligence and the approval so we we obviously and you know it's a fairly exhaustive process which requires a lot of work from the company and us uh, and the partners so the amounts that we uh, disperse and the amounts that the companies are looking for have to be mindful of that kind of effort that needs to go in also on the other side we we do have started looking at uh, helping companies even scale up so it even if you have revenue but you're still hitting like a place where you need uh, some additional technology de-risking where sdtc can come in and sort of take you to the next level we're looking at companies like that as well so it's across the board and like i said if you're super early stage then that's that's the reason we started the seed fund is that's a separate fund with a whole different um, eligibility criteria and a whole different timelines to work with uh, the tech fund is obviously once you've graduated from a seed kind of fund and actually have a real company which is aiming towards putting a product in the market in let's say 3 5 10 6 years based on your industry that's when uh, the tech fund makes sense right so restum um first of all like i said that seed fund that i think that's a real big help to to the industry we see that uh in our role at alacrity because we oftentimes are our clients are earlier stage if we i just want to drill in a little bit more to the later stage scale up companies so these would be companies that are sort of at trl 8 or 9 sure they've you know demonstrated a model they've got some customers yeah. and now they want to scale up so uh that that was a bit of a surprise to me that uh, that's a uh, an area that sdtc also funds Yeah so i mean our leadership and uh, the management they looked quite strongly across the whole funding ecosystem right and we noticed that a lot of our companies which were excellent and had excellent products uh, were still 
we're still maybe a little gap away from uh, being debt worthy, for example, or being able to attract those really big investors. And we didn't want to leave them in, I would say that, you know, the struggling position or have them sort of liquidate themselves further or, or lower their valuation. So we felt that was also a good space where some amount of federal funding could help them scale without having to sell themselves off sooner. And I think it's it's a very good strategic space as well, because these companies, they, they like you said, they have a product, they've all already understood the market, they know how to sell, but what they are struggling is to, to create their disruption in the market in a bigger sense, right? And we definitely don't want them to, at this point, you know, when all the work has been done to sell off to somebody internationally or to uh, lose the Canadian benefit that's been created. So that's why SDTC moved on to that segment where we can ensure that we retain the Canadian benefits um, domestically and allow these companies to reach the next level without having to sell themselves short. Often what we've started finding is that little additional amount of funding de-risks the late stage investors or the debt players to come in. And we collaborate with them to ensure that the bigger funds and um, the banks and others uh, take up these companies more actively. And so is it the same financial model, Rustam? So it's a 40% sort of funding of the project and the other 60% is coming from other sources? That is correct. It's still the same. The core model is the same. It's still the 40-60. We still need a consortium partner. We still have this process of due diligence, which is similar. It's just that we wear a lens where we acknowledge that when we are doing the due diligence, we are looking more at the business plan. We are looking more into the competitive advantage and are directing our questions towards that more than just understanding the technology. So that's, uh, that's the, maybe the only difference. Got it. Maybe a question or an issue that we find at Alacrity, and this gets to sort of your model of a, a consortium partner. What we find often is that the customers will listen to the story. They'll say, gee, that sounds pretty good. Why don't you set it up at my facility at scale and uh, you know, show me that it works and then I'll pay for it. So what I would call this would be sort of a success-based pilot. And we've really struggled with that uh, barrier to commercialization because, you know, the typical banks, they won't fund that because that looks like risk. And I'm curious whether you've discovered that. Does SDTC have a magic potion to get around the problem? So in other words, the the customer will say, hey, not only will I give you the 60%, I'll give you 100%, but you've got to show me it works first. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right, Preetam. That is the place where we identified, uh, which is a big challenge. I, and I understand from some of the big companies' perspective as well. I mean, they, this is, these are dealing with startups. They want to see a product at scale working for them before they commit. And uh, I, I don't know if this is a magic potion, but we, allow, we do two things. One is that we allow these bigger companies, um, which are going to become consortium partners, to also put in some kind of in-kind cost. So for example, you know, if, if let's say you're, you're one of the big companies which is hosting a startup, a clean tech startup on your site, uh, you can perhaps put some costs that you put into the project um, for the rental or the space that you're providing them or the mentoring that you're providing them into the project, which allows the project envelope to sort of grow and uh, makes more room for uh, more SDTC funding, right? 
so that's been highly appreciated by a lot of consortium partners. And then what we also have um, increasingly started uh, doing is uh, engaging regularly through the project period with the consortium partners as the technology develops. So we we go back to them and uh, you know we sort of gorge the success of the project or the technology along with the consortium partners. So this whole collaborative approach de-risks them a little bit further, right? So they can plan ahead that, okay, this is this project is going well, when these guys are ready, here's when the decision process is to bring them on as a commercial product. So I guess a little bit both work uh, on this front, but yeah, I mean, so this is definitely an area which we, we are actively also looking at more ideas to work on. Good. Canada's counting on you solving that problem, Russell. I mean, it, certainly the in-kind contribution helps, but there's still a gap there. And we're really uh, mindful of that gap and, and looking forward to uh, some bright ideas there. So hopefully the next time we'll chat, you'll be able to tell us about uh, how you've solved that problem. Hope so too. Yeah. You had mentioned sort of big companies and how they struggle to work with small companies. We really noticed that mismatch and alacrity as well. In fact, sometimes we, I, I call this a systems integration problem that oftentimes if you look at a large company, they tend to invest in their customer facing part of their business, but the supplier facing part of their business starts to atrophy and they outsource more and more. And eventually they outsource so much that they're not even capable, they don't even have the people anymore to, to sort of look at disruptive technologies. And even if they do, they can't buy direct. They have to buy through a systems integrator and the systems integrator or the tier one uh, is often more inclined to protect their existing position and, and is also resistant to disruption and innovation. So I'm curious as to, first of all, have you seen this? And again, back to your magic wand, any, any bright ideas on solving that problem? Um, I wish I had uh, a magic wand, but I, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, that definitely that, that does remain a challenge and it does remain a challenge uh, in, in a lot of our core, you know, natural resource industries, for example, right, where there's a high capital concern there. I, I think one of the things we've found is uh, with SDTC coming in with the project and being able to de-risk, uh, we've started creating industry examples. So rather than for that one particular company, we've started creating industry examples that can sort of be learnings for people across the board. You know, if, if for example, you're working with the oil and gas sector, right? That's a great example where you have big uh, industrial players who they have a really hard time accommodating some startup. But we've started uh, helping companies create these great demonstration examples that can be learnings for the whole industry. And then we partner up with, you know, provincial agencies as well as local agencies to sort of disseminate that learning that we've got from working with them. So maybe in a very indirect push for helping them reach the market or break this sort of little challenge of uh, going through the tier ones or not. And we also increasingly see that some of these larger companies have a separate innovation department. So we engage with them quite a bit. We have a fabulous partnership team, which goes out and talks to the industry on a regular basis to understand, you know, which are the areas where they would like to see innovation so that, again, we, we champion the right companies for the right problems uh, where there would be a higher acceptance. So again, no, no, no one answer or one size fit all. It's very industry dependent and also it's a constant work in progress engagement, right? Yep, makes sense, Rustam. Building on that topic a little bit is, you know, back to sort of capital raising and money, 
uh, what we find is oftentimes, like say an EDC or a BDC or a bank, those are very experienced organizations that can evaluate customer payment risk or currency risk or political risk. And, and, you know, very comfortable that they know how to evaluate that. But when it comes to technology risk, man, they just run for the hills. Yet SDTC has a deep history, deep heritage, deep experience in evaluating technology risk because that's sort of at the core of what you do. So my question is, do you share due diligence with financial partners? Is there a mechanism where companies can say, hey, Mr. Financial Partner, don't worry about that technology risk because uh, SDTC has already done that part. So, Peter, I think, I think you'll be extremely happy to know that we are more and more started to integrate and work closely with, I would say, the government financial partner. So, like the ones you mentioned, BDC and EDC and even ICED funds, you know, IRAPs of the world. So, we work extremely closely with them to the point that definitely we are happy to always share due diligence and we, we sort of encourage companies to provide us a waiver to do that when they engage with the banks or they engage with EDC and BDC. And beyond that as well, we've started engaging on um, a regular basis where I'm in Vancouver, so I'll regularly be engaging with the BDC, EDC counterparts in Vancouver to understand what's going on in the ecosystem, uh, which companies need how much help, and sharing stories and learnings with each other. I think that's, that's hugely beneficial and it's being encouraged across the board from our leadership as well and from the government departments. And, it, it, and we've got a few success stories where even in the rounds, mostly towards scale-up rounds, we've had companies, um, and I can throw an example, there's a company called Lefenco, where BDC is an investor, and we've come into the round and joined them. It's a Montreal-based clean tech company doing exceedingly well. And similarly, a lot of other examples where we have actually worked proactively and together with provincial as well as federal funding partners to take our technology perspective and add on to their financial perspectives. And we also reach out, you know, other than sharing our due diligence, we also reach out for help regularly when we are talking of companies which are going and working internationally, where we acknowledge that EDC or BDC might have a better perspective on the exposure risks that's prevalent when you work on international borders because that's the expertise they have. So, so there is a definitely uh, collaboration going on. Again, room for improvement for sure. And um, you know, that will always stay. But um, as you see going forward, you'll see more and more uh, joint work happening. Terrific. Thanks, Rustam. You had mentioned sort of international where, you know, some of these risks become more pronounced, harder to deal with. And you had also mentioned that one of SDTC's criteria is that Canada needs to benefit from the sustainability. Can you help us understand, because of course what we do is we tell all our technology companies, the world's your oyster, you need to get out of Canada, you need to uh, go after the much bigger markets globally. Do you see any conflict between your need to provide sustainable benefits here in, in Canada against, you know, an investor's drive to go after global markets? Interestingly, Peter, I think we don't because, I, I mean, I'm hard to think of an example of a company which has not performed domestically has just created an export-linked business, right? I mean, there might be ones which uh, are sending products to U.S. directly without a market in Canada. But to the moot point of um, do Canadian benefits align with scale-up stage, at the stage at which we see companies, we encourage them 
to work closer to where they are, which just makes sense for startups because the amount of risk and the amount of cost involved for companies at the stage at which they are where we invest to go outside the country and do work is significant. So unless they have a, they are in a particular industry or a in technology which is tailor made for let's say X country outside, I think it's it's in their benefit to sort of work at home and you know fix all these chinks before they go out, right? So most of the companies we see definitely have an aspiration to go internationally, of course, and and they should because that's where the markets are. But they definitely um, have an aspiration to keep the IP in Canada, to keep a substantial portion of the team as well as the benefits in Canada aligned. Now, when it comes to environmental benefits, we do acknowledge environmental benefits from across the world. It's so, so that's definitely consistent. But uh, you know, early stage companies, uh, if, you, if you had a company which is three people and they're, they're talking about commercializing in, let's say, Asia or Africa without having done a lot of work in Canada, that definitely raises a flag for me. Right. Yeah, I was thinking more the scale up um, stage where they come to you and say, hey, Rustin, we've already conquered Canada. And now we want to go global and that's what we need your money for. We have to relook at our mandate, right? I mean, it's a very competitive fund, like it started with. So if somebody comes and says that we've, we've cracked Canada and we're doing really well, now we need to expand globally, then maybe the home for them is more somebody like a EDC or a bigger fund like a BDC or something uh, in that respect, right? Like we are also looking for a significant risk that SDTC can expire from technology or business in general. We, we are not at this point at SDTC. Uh, we're not looking at mature companies which are just going to expand. So that, that's where we'll, we'll probably on a case-by-case basis look at whether how much aligned it is to our mandate and take it from there. Yeah, and Rustin, that's uh, really good to maybe reinforce because what we find, uh, you know, as, uh, as our technology clients uh, go out and talk to investors, investors typically run from risk whereas you frankly embrace risk. Yeah. Now it's calculated risk, but you know, I think maybe that's uh, you know, again, one of the differentiators, which is why you fill such a critical role in, in our ecosystem. Absolutely, Peter. Maybe that's a, a, good, a good time for a roundup question. So I've been <laughs> pestering you with all these questions, Rustam. What else do you think that you'd like to say that you think our audience would be interested in? Anything, uh, anything at all that comes to your mind? We'd love to hear your opinions. No, and Peter, by no means were the questions at all. Uh, I mean, pestering is a too strong word. I, I, I was really enjoying it. And they were excellent questions. We, we hope that people understand SDTC more, when they should apply and why they should apply, which will make their application more consistent, right? So thank you so much for those questions and allowing me to articulate them. I think the two, two additional points that I'd sort of throw it out, and I think maybe get your perspective also, is uh, we, we do want companies to understand that there is a role of working with business mentors or preparing an application to understand who you should pitch to and when. I think it's critical because, you know, for smart entrepreneurs and most of our, our companies are excellent in this, uh, it's, it's important for them to understand which government funding source to apply for at what time and at what stage of their ventures. You know, I would, I would shamelessly say that, you know, we, we look forward to accelerators and incubators like Alacrity to play an important role here. And our job is to give sort of the two funds, right? Like the seed fund and the tech fund. But we definitely look to our incubators and accelerator partners to help the companies understand when they should pitch to what and what's their level of preparedness. 
And you know, that's it's it's very important because for for most entrepreneurs and being an entrepreneur myself, I know time is super critical. So if you do a little bit of work, work with incubators and accelerators and your business mentors to understand which investment product makes sense and from whom at what time, it saves up a lot of time later when you actually put in the hard work of making an application and saves you from the disappointment, which could be like, hey, you, you didn't check the mandate of this fund or you know the average size, diesel size or you know, how long it takes for them to deliver. You, you don't set yourself up for disappointment if you understand what I'm saying, right? So I, I definitely make, like to make that point. And, um, and the last point I'd like to make, which I think you, you mentioned is whatever we do in clean tech or environmental benefits front has to be aligned to a strong line of sight to commercialization or a mindset and a strategy which is uh, to take the technology to a product and be able to sell it to the market. It's, it's, it's very important for innovators and these great technology companies to understand that environmental benefits will only come if people use your product or service. They don't come by smart research. And we love smart research, but our goal is to help you build that product that generates that quantifiable, tangible environmental benefits. So I'll leave that to you, Peter, to comment on. <laughs> well, thanks. That's uh, very inspirational. And, for, and of course, thank you for, uh, for mentioning incubators and accelerators like Alacrity. We do feel that as part of our role to help our companies understand the financing options out there and making sure that we really think they are a fit before you know, we get everybody, uh, get, get everybody working. Absolutely. And then in terms of your final benefit, which is, gee, you know, if we really are trying to change the world and make things sustainable, then that means it really needs to get out there at scale, which means customers need to see value. Correct. And so I just think that is a, a great uh, observation to leave us with. No, and, and Peter, I mean, I, I conclude, I'll say I'm very, very optimistic and bullish on the Canadian clean tech ecosystem in general. Like, during the COVID, I mean, seeing how every actor in the industry, including people like you, how, uh, and especially the companies, how they've stepped up in this difficult times uh, has been very inspiring from, from our side to see. And, um, and I think the Canadian clean tech ecosystem is only going to grow from here. This is a global realization that Canada is now on the map for clean tech. And um, all Canadian clean tech companies have a very fertile ground in this country. So leave that on a very happy, positive note there. <laughs> Great. Yeah, that, that's nice to mention the resilience of entrepreneurs. They, uh, yeah. Sometimes you need a cast iron stomach. <laughs> but uh, thank you. Thank you, Rustam. Thanks. Additional information about Sustainable Development Technology Canada can be found at sdtc.ca. For details on Alacrity's cleantech program, visit alacritycanada.com and look for it under the program section. Thanks for listening and catch us next time on Cleantech Talk with Alacrity Canada.